Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Well, we thank the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word together tonight. Give us ears in order to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds to be open to it. Change us by it from glory to glory as your spirit moves upon our hearts and conforms us to the very image of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we become that for which he shed his blood and sacrificed his holy life. We thank you that his blood will not fall to the earth in vain, but will accomplish in our lives what you purpose and what you will as we walk on this earth empowered by your spirit to carry out your will, to touch hearts and change lives and represent Jesus as ambassadors upon this earth. Father, be glorified tonight in all that's said and done. We'll give you all the praise you deserve in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about being empowered by the spirit of the living God. This is lesson number three. And we're going to begin looking in Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Read on right through verse 8. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He just got done telling them that he's going to baptize them with the Holy Ghost and fire. They want to know what's happening in Israel. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father had put in his own power. But he goes back to his subject. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. I want you to notice that Jesus spent over three years teaching his disciples. He modeled for them what Christian ministry is all about. New Testament ministry. Getting people saved into the kingdom. Washed in the blood of the lamb. Healed, delivered, set free and made whole on the right courts. He did all that. He taught them that. He modeled that for them. But even though he did that, he said, look, this is not enough. It's not enough. There's something more that you still need. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how trained you are. What matters is how empowered you are. Because he said, look, you can't do this without divine enablement and divine empowerment. You must be endued with power from on high. So go and wait until you get the Holy Ghost and power. Power to witness for him. Power to live the lives he wants us to live. Power over and dominion over sin and its effect in the human life. Power to represent him as ambassadors here upon the earth. Power to do what? Destroy the works of the devil in human lives. Power that comes from the very throne of Almighty God for each and every one of us. Beloved, there is no substitute for the power of the living God. There is no substitute. Education can't take its place. Money can't take its place. Remember the one Simon wanted to pay to have this power, to pay to have this ability? Peter said, your heart's not right with God, man. You can't buy this. It's a free gift. Your heart's got to be right. But there is power from on high to help us rise up, live the life that God wants us to live, and overcome all the obstacles that we face in life. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 16 and verse 18, look what Jesus said. And I shall say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Whose church is it? And the gates of hell will have a difficult time. Oh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. 
In other words, Peter, I'm telling you, I am going to give you power and authority. I am going to give the church power and authority that transcends all the power of the enemy. There's no power of the enemy that you will face in conflict that can overcome you or the church. The gates of hell themselves will not be able to hold people back or destroy the church that I am building. This is what he's telling him. Look in Luke's gospel, chapter um, 10 and verse 19. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you two kinds of power. Power, dunamis, miracle working power, and power, exousia, authority, over all the power of the enemy, a twofold working of the power of Almighty God. He gives us his authority, he gives us divine empowerment or enablement so that the works of darkness cannot prevail against the church of the living God. Are you a member in the body of Christ? Are you a part of the church of the living God? Then praise God, we've all been given power and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt us. And so no matter what situation we encounter with the devil, he cannot prevail over the church. He cannot prevail over us. And we need to remind ourselves of that daily. His power is not greater than the power of God. And greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world. We need to maintain that focus. Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Here Paul the apostle is praying for the church at Ephesus. He's praying for the people of the church to have a revelation or an understanding of the power that we all have. He says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Hold on right there. What does he want our eyes open to? What's he want us to have insight into? It's called resurrection power. It's called power that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in each and every one of us as believers. He says, I'm, Father, open up their eyes. Enable them to see it so they, they can understand it, so they can know it, so they can walk in the light of this resurrection power that raised up Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which has come, and put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things, to the church, for the benefit of the church, in other words, which is his body, the fullest of him that filleth all in all. Notice this is all for the benefit of the church. We are the church. They were the church then, we're the church now. And he wants our eyes to be opened. He wants us to have spiritual insight into this resurrection power that raised up Jesus from the dead that dwells in each and every one of us. Basically, you could say he's saying this. It's not a matter of believers getting more power, but unleashing the power that we already have. We've got Holy Ghost power. We've got resurrection power. If the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he that raised Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwells in you. The power is in us. We have the power. We have the glory. We have the anointing. We have the divine ability and enablement of God on the inside of us. Thank God. Thank God. We know we have it. We want to unleash it. We want to release it. We want to let it do its thing. Praise God in the earth as we live our lives. So we already possess that power and he prayed for us to have that revelation. So in light of all that, I jotted down some thoughts. For us to consider. That okay? If we want to operate in a higher level of this power, then we need to consider our level of consecration. Our level of consecration. And notice in Matthew's gospel chapter 3, what Jesus did and what he said. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? 
And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Notice that statement. It's right to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a voice, lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, the immaculate holy, sinless son of the living God had no need to be baptized in the eyes of John. But he said to John, John, you basically don't understand what you're saying in reality. Because even though Jesus was the son of God manifest in the flesh, he set aside his mighty power and glory to operate as a prophet under the old covenant. And yes, he was sinless, faultless, blameless before the throne of almighty God. But he had to be empowered from on high to carry out the life mission the Father sent him to fulfill. And so when he went to be baptized in water, even though he had no need because he had no sin, because it was the baptism of repentance, he had nothing to repent of, he did it to model what is right for every child of God to do. To be consecrated. See, there's power in consecration to principle. It was the principle I will do what everyone needs to do. To do what? To be empowered from on high. And so this is when Jesus was empowered from on high. When the heavens were opened unto him and the Spirit of God fell upon him, he equipped him, he anointed him to begin his public ministry. And from that point on, he came in the power of the Spirit, we are told, and he worked signs and wonders and miracles as he was empowered by the Spirit, he did many things that were good and healed all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. But the point is, there is power in consecration to principle. So it's up to us to decide what level of consecration, you know, we want to make before God. And I want to read to you, this is from John G. Lake, his book. It's called Adventures in God. And trust me, if you read this book, you'll see some amazing adventures in God. This is his consecration to principle. It says in the first paragraph, and I'm going to give you these eight principles. I this day consecrate my life to glorify my heavenly father by my obedience to the principles of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. All my effort from now on will be directed in an effort to demonstrate the righteousness of God and whatsoever I may be engaged. Doesn't that sound like exactly what Jesus said we are to do? Live to fulfill righteousness. Principle number one. Consecration point number one. All the things earthly that I possess shall not be considered my own, but belonging to my heavenly Father, and shall be held in trust by me to be used and directed by the wisdom of the Spirit of God, as the law of love of men and Christ loved them may dictate. If at any time God should raise up men wiser than myself, I will gladly commit my all to their use and turn over all my possessions to them for distribution. If at any time in my life I should be engaged in an earthly business and should employ men to aid me in conducting it, I shall reward them justly and equally, comparing their own energy expended with my own, my own after adding a sufficient amount to my own to cover all risk that may be involved in the operation of my business. I shall consider my employees my equals with rights to the blessings of nature and life equal to my own. I shall not strive to elevate myself to a position of comfort above the rest of my employees and shall direct all my efforts to bring all mankind to an equal plane where all enjoy the comforts of life and fellowship together. Principle number two. I shall not cease to cry to God and implore him to deliver mankind from the effects of sin so long as sin lasts, but shall cooperate with God in the redemption of mankind. I will have sessions of prayer and fasting in behalf of mankind, weeping and bewailing their lost condition, imploring God to grant them repentance unto life as the Spirit of God may lead me. Principle number three, I shall live my life in meekness, never defending my own personal rights, but shall leave all judgment to God who judges righteously and rewards all according to their works. I shall not render evil for evil or railing for railing, but shall bless all and do good to enemies to return for evil. By God's grace, I shall keep all hardness and harshness out of my life and actions, but shall be gentle and unassuming, not professing above what God has imparted to me. But nor lifting myself above my brethren. Principle number four, I shall consider righteous acts as more necessary to life and happiness than food and drink. 
and not let myself be bribed or coerced into any unrighteous action for any earthly consideration. Number five, by God's grace, I will always be merciful, forgiving those who have transgressed against me and endeavoring to correct the ills of humanity instead of merely punishing them for their sins. Principle number six, I shall not harbor any impure thoughts in my mind, but shall endeavor to make my every act uplifting. I shall regard my procreative organs sacred and holy and never use them for any purpose other than that which God created them for. I shall regard the home as sacred and always regard my actions in the presence of the opposite sex so as not to cause a man and his wife to break their vows to one another. I shall be chased with the opposite sex who are married considering them as sisters. I shall be careful not to cause them to undo any undue pain by playing on their affections. Number seven, I will always strive to be a peacemaker first by being peaceful myself and avoiding all unfruitful contentions and treating all with justice and regarding their rights and their free agency, never trying to force any to my point of view. If I should, be offend, if I should offend anyone knowingly, I shall immediately apologize. I will not scatter evil reports about any person and so try to defame their character or repeat things that I'm not certain of being true. I will strive to remove the curse of strife among brethren by acting as a peacemaker. Principle number eight. I shall not become discouraged when I am persecuted on account of the righteousness mentioned above, nor murmur on account of any suffering I undergo, but shall gladly give my life rather than depart from this high standard of life, rejoicing because I know I have a great reward in heaven. I shall strive to make the above principles the ideal of all the world and give my life and energy to see mankind get the power from God to practice the same. I would call that a pretty good idea of what it means to live a consecrated life. What do you think? Imagine that. That was the, the depth and level of his consecration before God. So, we can ask ourselves, where are we at in our commitment to fulfill all righteousness, to do the right thing before the living God? Are we even motivated enough to find out what the scriptures teach and what they say about the way we should be living? You know, the Bible teaches us in the book of Titus chapter 2 that godliness or grace that appears to all men teaches us to deny this worldly lust and all ungodliness, and live a holy, righteous, godly life before the throne of God, and looking for the appearing of our Lord. It tells us to live our lives that way. So what's the point? If we want to activate, if we want to release and unleash the power of the glory of God, the anointing of God, the very life of God, and the life of the Spirit, this resurrection power, then we want to see to it, to it that we separate ourselves as He did, and look to the Lord to manifest Himself in us and through us with power and might. Okay, number two. Our level of thirst and hunger. Our level of thirst and hunger. How many of you have ever experienced true thirst? And true hunger? I don't think in America any one of us has ever probably really rightfully said, I'm starving. Right? There may be some out there that don't have anything. But for the most part, the majority of people that live in this country don't know what it means to be starving, don't let it know what it means to be without any water for days at a time. Our hunger and thirst level. Jesus made it very clear, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness are the ones that shall be filled. Do we long to see the glory? Do we long to experience God's glory? Do we long to have His power in operation in and through our lives? It's a good question. We are told in the book of John, John's Gospel, chapter 7, these words by Jesus, if any man thirst. In that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, if any man thirst, if he's really thirsty, if he is so parched, he needs something to drink, like in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, then let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, that they which believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Oh, there is a thirst. There is a longing. There is a hunger. There is a desire that God wants us all to have. Notice, it's up to the believer to receive the Holy Ghost. And if the believer who really is thirsty and hungry for the things of God, he will be satisfied. There will be an inflow of the Holy Spirit in such a, a way that there will be rivers of living water, rivers flowing out, an outflow. There cannot be an outflow without an inflow. 
there needs to be an inflow of this power. We generate this miracle working power. We receive it as we are filled with the Holy Ghost. But then we generate it by praying in the Holy Ghost. And staying in the divine presence of the living Savior. And letting him know I'm thirsty. I, th I thirst. Praise God. I'm hungry to see your power. To see your glory manifest in and through my life. Like I have never seen it before. I'm willing to set aside myself. That I could have more of you. Praise God. I want a greater working and manifestation of your spirit. Father operating in my life and through my life. Remember what David said in Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2? It's similar to this. O oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee is in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see your power and your glory, so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. Notice what he says, I thirst, I'm hungry. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. To see your power, to see your glory on display in and through my life. Just like in a dry and thirsty land that's parched where there is no water. Oh, praise God. Those that hunger, those that thirst, they shall be filled. Look at Psalm 42, same. David said these words. As the heart, as the deer pants after the water, but some panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where, when shall I come and appear before God? Hallelujah. In other words, setting up a season or a time of divine visitation where you get before the presence of Almighty God, I'm not satisfied. I am not satisfied. I'm here to stir up the gift of God in me. I am here so that there is a greater inflow, so there can be a greater outflow of the working of your mighty power in and through my life. And as Lake just said, he did. To set, him, set himself apart in times of just waiting before God and crying out, bewailing the lost condition of mankind and really identifying with lost humanity. You know, we've heard it said time and time again, unless somebody gets on their face, somebody gets on their knees, and someone cries out for deliverance for other people, they won't, they'll be lost for eternity. We want all men saved just like he does. We want to have the heartbeat of God like he does. Number three, it requires a level of faith. What is our level of faith? You see, it takes faith to receive the Holy Ghost. It takes faith to unleash the miracle power of God as well. But look at the book of Galatians in chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish having begun in spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Oh, it's by the hearing of faith. We're not going to have a greater manifestation of the miracle working power of God just because we obey some laws and we go to church and et cetera, et cetera. No, don't go back into the law, he said. Thank God that we should do the right things. We should live righteous. We should live holy lives. But it's by faith we receive power from on high. And it's by faith we unleash power from on high. Just like the woman with the issue of blood. In Mark's gospel chapter 5. We know the verses 25 through 34. This woman touched God with her faith. This certain woman had an issue of blood 12 years, suffered many things and many physicians, spent all that she had, but was nothing better, rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in a press behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes. Notice that expression, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She puts the responsibility on herself. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. She felt in her body she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him said, Who touched me? Who touched me? Somebody touched him. And of course they went on to say, we know the crowd's thronging you. How can you say who touched me? Jesus said, no, somebody made a demand upon my ability. And she fell down and told him all the truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of your plague. This woman tapped into and unleashed the miracle working power of God. And the beauty of it is this. She could have stayed exactly where she was at. She could have stayed in her little cottage somewhere and had a victim's mentality and felt bad for herself. 
But the nature of this person is clearly seen in the fact that she went here and there and everywhere to try to be healed. She looked every method. She tried every thing, every cure she could think of, saw the physicians, the doctors, and etc. Nothing better but got worse. But then she heard of Jesus. And when she heard of Jesus, oh, she took it upon herself. I will touch his garment. Let every wind of op opposition blow against my life. Let every voice that tells me don't do it. Let every religious idea try to stop me from getting to the hem of his garment. Let every mountain, let every valley, let every obstacle, it doesn't matter. I am going to touch the hem of his garment. I am not going to live like this any longer. Beloved, there comes a time when we've got to get to a place that we say, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. I am taking it upon myself to rise up and I am going to tap into the power of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead. And you know the difference between her and us today? She had to touch him physically. We have it in us. We have the power that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in us. And by faith, we can tap into it. By faith, we can activate it. And you heard me say on Sunday morning, if you've been prayed for, and let's say that you're in a situation where maybe you can't, your faith level is not just there. Maybe it just can't believe for that instantaneous miracle of healing to take place. You get a hold of the power of God and you start saying from that moment on, I'm recovering. I'm getting better. I will not get worse. I am progressively getting better every single day. You know what? It's almost like a relief because that you can believe. You can say that. My body will not get worse. My body will get better. The power of God is at work in me and it's getting better every single day of my life. Praise God. And you're unleashing this miracle power on the inside of you. This resurrection power that raised up Jesus from the dead and your body is responding to what you're saying because you believe that from your heart. Can you see that? And that's for all of us, myself included. Number four, our level of commitment to prayer and praise. Our level of commitment to prayer and praise. Look at Acts chapter 16. We're talking about tapping into and releasing or unleashing the miracle working power of God. It's not by might nor power. It's not by human efforts or intelligence. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Our faith is to tap into the power of God, the resources of heaven, resurrection power. Paul and Silas, they're beaten for their commitment to Christ. They're persecuted for their commitment to Christ, for proclaiming the good news of the gospel, for casting out a devil out of a woman, etc., etc. And at midnight after their, in the innermost prison, what did they do? They prayed and sang praises. Your level of commitment to what? Praying and singing praises to God. Praying and singing praises to God. Think about those two. Praying and singing praises. Prayer is connecting with God. What do you want me to do in this situation? I'm telling you right now, Lord, I'm casting the care of the situation over on you. You know more than I do. You know better than I do. I am casting my care upon you. Presenting my need to you, I'm praying, interacting with you. But then, after they prayed, they must have thought God heard them. Because they started praising. And not just praising, but with a loud Pentecostal praise. A voice that can be heard. Not just a little amen. Glory to God. We prayed, and now we're praising. And when they had prayed and praised, the prisoners heard them. And suddenly, there were, you talk about power, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Praise God. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. All those that were there, guess what? They benefited from the prayer and praise of Paul and Silas, did they not? It delivered them. It set them free as well. They got a freebie from God. You could say it that way. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, look at James chapter 5. Oh, no, wait a minute. Let me read these again to you. This, this prayer, well, no, no. 
Look, look at James 5, 16, first in the Amplified version of the Bible. This is the classic version of the Amplified. Confess your faults one to another. Your, your, your slips, your, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. Why? Because the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes what kind of power? Power available. And what, what in its working? Dynamic power. Dynamic. Oh, we're talking about dynamite power. You ready for some dynamite power? I'll tell you, I read this. This is again, this is John G. Lake's book, same book, Adventures in God. It's a classic. And uh, matter of fact, I was just looking at the back endorsements. This is Andrew Murray. The man reveals more of God than any other man in Africa. Uh, another, William Gentry. John Lake's healing ministry is one of the most remarkable the world has ever seen. His teachings will eventually be accepted by the entire world, Gandhi. Listen to what he says. Having a, this is about prayer in the believer's life. Having a formal acknowledgement as a student of science, it was my privilege to attend clinics, which I frequently did. At one time, I submitted myself to a series of experiments. It was not sufficient to know that God healed. I had to know how God healed. I visited one of the great experimental institutions and submitted myself for a series of experiments. If you didn't know him, you think he's out, he's out of his mind. <laughs> okay. Because wait to hear what he did. First, an instrument was attached to my head. This instrument had an indicator that would register the vibrations of the brain. I began to repeat things like the 23rd Psalm to soothe the mind and reduce the vibrations to the lowest point. Then I repeated Psalm 31, the 35th chapter of Isaiah, the 91st Psalm, and Paul's address before Agrippa. After this, I went into secular literature and recited Tennyson's Charge of the Light Brigade and finally posed the raven. As I prayed in my heart that at the psychological moment, God would anoint my soul in the Holy Spirit. My difficulty was that while reciting, I could not keep the Spirit from coming upon me. When I finished with the raven, those in charge of the experiment said, you are a phenomenon. You have a wider mental range than any human being we have ever seen. In reality, this was not so. It was because the Spirit of God kept coming upon me to such a degree I could feel the movings of the Spirit within me. I prayed in my heart, Lord, if you will only let the Spirit of God come on me like the lightnings of God upon my soul for two seconds, I know something is going to happen that these men have never seen before. As I recited the last lines of the poem, suddenly the Spirit of God struck me in a burst of praise and other tongues. The indicator on that instrument bounded to its limit, and I haven't the least idea how much further it would have gone if it had been possible. The professor said, we've never seen anything like this. I replied, gentlemen, it's the Holy Ghost. In the second experiment, a powerful x-ray machine with microscopic attachments was connected to my head. He's really out there. This purpose was to see, if possible, what the action of the brain cell was. I proceeded just as in the former experiment. First, I repeated scriptures that were soothing. Those calculated to reduce the action of the cortex cells to the lowest possible register. Then I went to scriptures which conveyed better and richer things until I reached the first chapter of John. As I began to recite this, the fires of God began to burn in my, in my heart. Why not? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same as the beginning with God, and so on. So he was reciting that. Suddenly the Spirit of God came upon me before, as before, and the man who was behind me touched me. It was a signal to keep, for me to keep that poise of soul until one after another could look through the instrument. Finally, when I let go, the Spirit subsided. The professor said, why, man, we can't understand this, but the cortex cells expanded amazingly. I said to them, gentlemen, I want you to see one more thing. Go down in your hospital and bring back a man who has inflammation in the bone. Experiment. Take your instrument, attach it to his leg, leave enough space to get my hand on his leg. You can attach it to both sides. When the instrument was ready, I put my hand on the man's shin and prayed like Mother Edder, Maria Woodward Ether from Columbiana County, Ohio, had a phenomenal healing ministry. I prayed like she prays, no strange prayer, but the cry of my heart to God. I said, God, kill the devilish disease by your power. Let the spirit move in him. Let it live in him. 
Then I asked, gentlemen, what is taking place? They replied, every cell is responding. It is so simple. The life of God comes back into the part that is afflicted. Immediately the blood flows. The closed, congested cells respond and the work is done. That is the God's divine science. Oh, beloved, when you pray, something is happening in you. It's not a myth. It's the action of God. The almighty God by the Spirit comes into your soul, takes possession of your brain, manifests himself in the cortex cells of your brain. When you wish and will, either consciously or unconsciously, the fire of God, the power of God, the life of God, the nature of God is transmitted from the cortex cells of your, of your brain and throbs through your nerves down to your purse, into your person, into every cell of your being, into every cell of your brain, your blood, your flesh, your bone, into every square inch of your skin until you are alive with God. That is divine healing. Can someone say amen to that? That is divine healing. And in that same book, he talks about how a man had a fivefold thing of flesh that he developed from something. You can read it in there. Five layers of flesh on his stomach that he had never seen anything like it before, but overlapping each other. And they were so bad that a nurse had to be there to clean the seat to it that it wouldn't get infected and that sort of thing. He was called upon to pray for this man. He said, I laid my hand on his stomach and stretched out my hand as wide as I possibly could. And I laid my hand right on the flesh itself. And I cursed that thing by its root in the name of Jesus and called for the fire of God just to burn it right out of him. He said, I was in ministry at that time. And I prayed for this man and I left, got on my train, went back to where I had to go. It was not very long afterwards. They got a hold of him. And they said to him, Brother Lake, you'll never expect, you'll never believe what happened. Within an hour after you left, there was a imprint of your hand burned into this man's flesh and every part of it dissolved. And the man was made completely whole. That, he said, is the fire of God. We have yet begun to really just touch the surface of what God can do to someone that is set apart, truly consecrated and dedicated uh, as this man was to this kind of ministry. And it said when he had his work in healing rooms in Spokane, there were over 200,000 healings and it was the healthiest country or healthiest um, city in all the, all the country, all the nation. And by the way, we had his daughter here at our church back in 1980 or 81, somewhere around there and son-in-law. Wilford Wright, they were here with us, brought me a bunch of his teachings about this thick of his teachings, and I still have them in my office, and oftentimes we'll look at them, read them over, um, but just amazing testimonies of uh, wonderful things. His wife was shot when they were in Africa, and they went and found him and said that the little boy, their little boy found a gun and shot her accidentally. He put everybody out of the house, went over and laid hands and prayed for her. And the bullet was extracted from her body and she was made whole. Just amazing, amazing testimonies. Look at the book of Isaiah. Through prayer and praise, we exchange our strength with God's. See, we, we talk about these things, but here's a perfect example of how these things actually work <clears throat> scientifically. And not being a scientist, you know, you don't look at it that way. But you know, at Oral Roberts University, they did study on praying in the Holy Ghost. And they said when you pray in the Spirit, you enhance your immune system by, I think, 33% just by praying in the Holy Ghost. Hast thou not known and hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, of, the, Lord the creator of the universe, ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary? Aren't you glad his power is never weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. To them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But mm -mm, they that ignore the Lord, they that never spend any time with him, those that don't study his word or pray in the Holy Ghost or pray and praise, no, they that wait upon the Lord, they that wait, they that, the word wait, interact with him, intermingle with him. Mm, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That means exchange strengths. Would you give up yours for his? Did you know that Samson gave up God's strength for his own? 
He was operating in God's strength, but because of Delilah, he gave up God's for his own. And oh, it didn't go over very well with him, did it? With the strength of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, what could he do? He could kill a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a mule. But when he gave up that strength, he couldn't kill one. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not weary. They shall walk and not faint. There is a divine exchange that takes place when you and I wait upon the Lord and we pray and we praise. You see, that's the whole idea of prayer and praise. It's not just to say, hey, we came and sang a few songs, a little upbeat songs and all that. We had a great time, clapped our hands and all that. No, it's interacting. It's intermingling with God. It is getting involved in truly worshiping God for who he is. Hallelujah. Getting on our knees and our faces before God. You know, it's, it's almost like the church has failed to realize the importance of sometimes just bowing on our knees before the throne of Almighty God. What have we reduced, you know, New Testament worship to or churches in our, in, in our Western world today? We want to come in and be entertained. That's not what it is. It's getting on our faces before God and just worshiping him and just letting him know. Burn out of me everything with the fires of your spirit that doesn't represent you in my life. Until I am transformed from the inside out. I want what's on the inside of me to get to the outside of me. And so as Paul and Silas did, praise God, I'm going to wait on, in your presence. I'm going to intermingle with you. You see, you can't help but to have a divine exchange when you get closer and closer and closer to the glory in the throne of God. As we enter in by the blood of the Lamb, what happens? Changes take place. We are changed. We are transformed from glory to glory as we enter in through praise and through worship and just seeing Him for who He is. I'll never forget when I came here so many years ago, 39 years ago. And, you know, I just spent a season waiting upon the Lord in the small church down there to get to the middle aisle. And I don't know, I just for some reason has had this drawing to Revelation chapter 5. And when I saw that, I read that, I'm telling you, it impacted me in such a way I just fell to my knees and said, I, I've got I've to learn this chapter. Because it was the chapter that talked about the worthy Lamb of God that was slain. The only one worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. Because he redeemed us to God by his blood. Out of every kindred, tongue, and people and nation. Made us kings and priests before our God. They bowed down before him. They worshipped him. They bought the, out their harps and golden vows. Full of orders was are the prayers of saints. And they begin to sing a new song. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is. That's true worship. That's true worship. As they praised him, as they worshiped, worshiped him, the divine exchange takes place as we do that. And Paul and Silas apparently knew something in detail about this because why else would you do that in that situation that they were in? They were in prison, their feet were fast in stocks, feet and hands, and they were bound, and they probably were facing beheading. But they just said, we give it to you, Lord, and they began to praise God as if they knew what would take place next. And it did, praise God. They were delivered and set free. Okay, what's number five? We don't, look at, we don't have to look at Luke 18. One. It just says that men ought always to pray and faint not. So if we don't want to faint, praise God, we've got to pray. Look at this next one because it's very, very important. Our level of submission to authority. Our level of submission to authority. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, how important is this? If we want to have this greater working of God's power, I can of my own self do nothing. Did you hear that? Who's saying that? Well, if Jesus can of his own self do nothing, what can we do? What can you and I do? Nothing. Uh-uh. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him that, of the Father which hath sent me. He said, I'm not the one that does the works. He's the one. I'm only doing. Look at John 8, 28. Myself, I can do nothing. Then said Jesus to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then, you, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Jesus was in total submission to the Father in such a way that what did he say? The works that I do, I don't do them. It's the Father in me. He does the works. I'm just in submission to what he would have me to do 
in every given situation. Blood, if we, if we want to have a greater level of manifestation of the power and glory of God, we've got to listen and submit ourselves to do what he wants us to do in given situations, which means we have to get to the place that we say, okay, Lord, this is yours. What do you want me to do? What do you need me to do in this situation? I want to join together with you because apart from you, I can't do anything. So I submit myself to you. Remember in John 14, 12, when Jesus said, the works that I do show you do also in greater works as show you do because I go to my father. Yeah. Right before that, he said, I'm not doing the works. And if you're going to do the works I do, you're going to do them the same way I do them. In submission to the Father, being led by the Spirit, and allowing Him to direct whatever it is that we, we do. So if we want to have a display of that awesome power, then we've got to be submissive. Look at this next one. Our level of courage and fearlessness. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, after he was told by the Lord that this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. He said these words, have not I suggested? No? Have not I what? Commanded thee. That's a command. What, what's the command? Be strong and of a good courage. Be thou not afraid. You're going to face giants and mighty walls. But be strong. Be of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. Don't you lose your courage. Don't you faint because of any enemy you face. Any circumstance that you see. Any hurdle you got to get over. Any roadblock you got to get through. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Hallelujah. Notice how it's all directed on him, to him. Jesus said, it's not me, it's him. He is saying to Joshua, it's not you. Don't fear anyone that you come up against, any situation, any circumstance you come up against because it's not you, it's me. And I'm bigger than the giants. I am bigger and stronger than the walls. Look to me, not to the problem. So be of good courage. Now notice in the book of Philippians, I love this verse. And this is important. How we react to situations will determine whether or not we release the power of God or we short-circuit the power of God in our lives. In the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 28, and do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries. For such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, proof, and seal of that, to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token of an evidence of your deliverance and salvation, and that from God. Is that not powerful? But what is the token of it? Your fearlessness, your refusal to be intimidated by the situation, the circumstance, the enemy, no matter how bleak it looks, how impossible it looks. In the natural, we have to admit in the natural, when we're up against certain situations like this here that we face in life, it's easy to be fearful and to lose courage and become dismayed. But God is saying, lift up your head, O ye gates, lift them up even ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Why do we want to entertain the enemy when we can entertain the King of glory? Why do we want to be dismayed and discouraged and, fear, and fearful when we can say, I will not fear you. God's not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, and entertain the King of glory, and let him come in and do his thing. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How they were fearless before the enemy. How they were facing a burning, fiery furnace. A, an angry king who said, who can deliver you? What God can deliver you out of my hand? If you don't bow down, if you don't submit to me and worship my statue, then you will be cast into this burning, fire furnace. What do you got to say about that? We're not intimidated whatsoever to answer you, O king. You may be big and bad, but we should know we know someone bigger, someone greater, someone more powerful than you are. 
And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That's called fearless faith. And what happened? Well, you know what happened. In the midst of a burning fiery furnace, the light proved to be greater than the darkness. You ever notice this? If there are two rooms side by side and there's a wall in between, and there's only a, a door to get from one to the next, and the, door, and the, the room on this side is full of light, and the one on this side is full of darkness, and you open up the door, does the darkness enter the light? Or does the light dispel the darkness? The light is greater than the darkness. The glory of God is greater than the darkness of all that is evil. So you see, when you and I act fearless before our enemy and refuse to be intimidated, he is confounded by that. And he is dispelled. He'll flee. And finally, our level of following love and desire for, and, and, and really desiring spiritual gifts as well. Remember 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Oh, thank you, Lord. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. Follow after love and desire or have a passion for spiritual gifts. That rather you may prophesy, but rather that you may prophesy. Love is the foundation for all that you and I do. The reason why we want the power of God to be in operation within our lives is because we're motivated by the love of God, the compassion of God to heal hurting humanity. We want to help people get delivered and set free. And you know what? Even though they give us a hard time because they don't know they're lost, we don't let that bother us. We don't let that bother us. No, we walk in love. We desire spiritual manifestation. See, without love, the power that we have manifested in our lives can lead to pride. And pride, we know, leads to sin. And sin's power. It was the pride that Lucifer had in the very beginning that led to sin and the power of sin. But you know what? Love overcame both. Pride and sin were overcome by the love of the living God. And so if we operate in love and desire spiritual manifestation, then he's going to move in our hearts. And manifest his power. And show himself strong. When we get it right. So do we desire that tonight? Amen. Do we have a longing for that? Are we hungry for that tonight? 